0: this past week, I was at a conference over in Raleigh with about 40 other pastors. That was a, it was really quite a good time. I enjoyed myself. But on, toward the end of the second day, toward the, during the last of the Q&A sessions uh, for that day, I found myself getting kind of sleepy. because you know, sitting for two straight days with presentations and papers and trying to listen and digest them all can be quite exhausting. So I went in search of a cup of coffee to combat the tired. So I walked through the the gathering space at the church down the hall toward the kitchen, and that's when I saw Daniela. Daniela is the the two-year-old daughter of my friend and his wife that they adopted from Colombia about a year ago. She's this two-year-old little spitfire who speaks this broken combination of Spanish and English, which is really, I think, quite impressive for for a two-year-old to even be able to do this. So as I'm walking down the hallway, she's sitting there by her dad's office. Her mom, the preschool director, had just brought her in and sat her there, said, stay there, don't go anywhere. As Soon as the mom disappears out the door, here comes Danielle, big smile on her face, marching down the hall with her arms swinging. She was singing. And what she was singing, it made me stop and just watch. Because over and over again, down the length of this hall, here was this two-year-old girl who barely spoke English singing a song that came from an old liturgical rite. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Hallelujah. I mean, what an incredible thing. Here's this little girl singing out her faith amidst strangers. Cause by this point, after hearing this little girl singing, I'm not the only one in the hallway anymore. This little girl just filled with joy. I mean, what, what a gift that God allowed me to see that day, this, this little girl without a care in the world, so pure and innocent, not understanding the reality of, of the world around her, just allowing her faith to shine by, by simply singing with joy. As so I drove home on Wednesday and, and I was reflecting on, on what I saw in Daniela that day, I, I began to wonder if God didn't allow me to see that as sort of a condemnation or a wake-up call to how I've been feeling and acting as of late. Because if I'm being totally honest to you, I haven't felt like I've had much of a reason to sing with joy. I mean, you've got those daily spiritual battles where, where I act faithless toward God, I shirk his commands those days where I am completely apathetic toward the callings that God has given me, the calling as a husband to Andy, a father to Asher, a friend to many, a a shepherd to even more. It turns out when you don't care for yourself spiritually, you end up in a pretty dark place, a place that that thinks you've got no reason at all to sing for joy. And that's that's just in my personal heart, right? But then comes the other stuff in life. Do you know what I'm talking about? you found yourself there, not really feeling like you have any reason to sing for joy in life. And that issue, it's only compounded when you begin to look at the things that take place outside of your heart, like the, the things in our present reality. And, and to be honest, it's, it's dark because you've got these people who are screaming tolerance, but what they really mean is you must accept any idea that I bring forth without question. Otherwise, you're intolerant and they hate you. You've got people espousing love and saying that you must love me because of who or what I love, and if you don't, then you're bigoted. You've got people who are increasingly filled with venom and vitriol, which morphs itself into violence and hatred, which which has just become the norm instead of the exception. And on top of all of that, because that's stuff we've seen for years and years now, on top of all of that, you get a story that, that popped up over the last week about those Christian missionaries in Haiti who were kidnapped, right? And there were children among them, one of them five months old, or eight months old, one of the two. And initially, the kidnapper, he, he demanded a million dollars apiece for these missionaries. But by Friday, he was getting pretty impatient that that demand hadn't been met. So he posted a video on social media that said, I swear by thunder, if I don't get what I'm asking for, I'm going to put a bullet in these Americans. Later on, Later on in that video, he said, you guys make me cry. I cry water. but I'm going to make you cry blood. There are plenty of days where where I, where we, where the world feels like we have no reason to be like little two-year-old Daniela. We have no reason to sing with joy. I and mean, for Christians of every age, it's been the trap for us to to stand in a world that looks like this, to stand and say, Things have gotten bad. Things have never been as worse as they are right now. The world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And when, when you let the, the dark reality of this present world overshadow your faith in God and all of the promises he's made you, well, then the only reality that you have left is to say, I've got no reason in this life to sing with joy. And then you couple that by saying, I can't sing with joy and nobody else understands it. Because nobody else in this world has ever experienced the things that we are going through now. But when you take a step back and you, you look at the broad witness of history that exists, not only do you find a statement like that not to be true, but you find plenty of people who not only think that the world in their time was as bad as it's ever been, but also you find a lot of people who feel like I do, like that I have no reason to sing with joy. And you need to look no further than the people of Israel to see this to be true. Right? Israel, at the, the time of the prophet Jeremiah, was in an incredibly dark place. The people of God had given their hearts over to idolatry, to the worship of false gods. And, and they would, if you could ask them, they would say, well, it wasn't a wholesale idolatry. It was more syncretistic, meaning the blending of religions, more or less. So So you would have these people who would go on the Sabbath and worship the one true God at the temple, but then the other six days of the week, they were going and worshiping false gods. I mean, it got so bad to the point where some of the Israelites had adopted the Canaanite practice of sacrificing their own children in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to a false god. It was a dark place spiritually, and God, through Jeremiah, he talks about the, uh, the idolatry that they had committed as spiritual prostitution, that they had whored their hearts out to these false gods. But that's not even the end of why it was such a dark time. The, the leaders of God's people who should have known better, the, the priests and the prophets and even the kings of God's people, they became totally corrupt. And because of their corruption, there was rampant social injustice. The lowest in society, the orphans and the widows and the immigrants, were treated with contempt and extorted and taken advantage of. And it seems like they didn't even really care about it, even though this was in clear violation of God's law. It was a a dark time. It's a dark place, and it's really not that unlike our 21st century world, is it? But it's into this darkness that God sends a man by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called by God to be a messenger of both God's justice and God's grace. When God called Jeremiah to go to the people of Israel, he said, I am making you a fortified wall, an iron pillar. I am making you a a wall and city of bronze. Because at every turn, these people that I am sending you to are going to fight against me. They're going to fight against my messenger, and they're going to fight against the message I'm sending you with. Because the message that Jeremiah was given, it was dark, it was heavy. Jeremiah told these people that because of their abandonment of God, because of their corruption, because of their idolatry, that God was going to raise up a servant from the north who was going to serve as a mouthpiece and as a hand for God's justice and wrath. This enemy from the north was going to be Babylon and he was going to be the one who delivered God's fierce anger against the Israelites for all of their sins. I mean, Jeremiah describes this enemy as this cup of wine that is filled to the brim, that is overflowing with God's God's wrath and just anger and that all of God's people were going to drink from this cup. And everything that Jeremiah prophesied about in his ministry, about this enemy from the north, came true. Babylon came down. Babylon laid siege to the holy city of Jerusalem and tore down her walls and burned the holy dwelling place of God on earth, the temple. It carried away the inhabitants to exile to live as foreigners under the sword of a king. And God told his people, this is not going to be a short exile. You're going to be here for 70 years. Do you think these people had any reason to sing with joy? Do you think these people had any reason to sing for joy or with joy as as relatives died as the temple was smoldering in ash and ruin as the city itself lay in rubble do you do you think that these people had any reason to to grab their tambourines and go out and dance, do, dance joyfully in the streets when when they were living as slaves under a foreign king do you think they had any reason to go out and shout praises of joy from their hearts to God for we're living in captivity. As we today watch people of every race and ethnicity and socioeconomic class become increasingly hostile and divided, do we have any reason to, to sing with joy? As we watch the degradation of, of religious freedom and prosperity that has existed in America, and we sense the, the coming, really the impending open and blatant persecution against us for our faith, do we have any reason to, to grab our proverbial tambourines and go out with the joyful and dance in the streets? As we watch the, the rampant decline of Christianity in America, as we watch people we even know, as we watch people we know who once believed in God turn their backs on him for the vices of this world, do we have any reason to shout praises to God for, with joy? like the like God's people of old it can feel like this world is that we are walking through is like a a dark cavern and the further we journey into this cavern the darker it gets the further we journey into this cavern the the colder it feels the the further we get into the cab into this cavern uh, to a point where we can't see any light at all it feels hopeless and despair sets in and as Israel stood in that cavern of exile and captivity, as you and I stand in this dark cavern of a world gone terribly wrong, here comes the prophet Jeremiah. Because it's dark, you can't see him, but you sense his presence. It's the the presence of a man who, who knows firsthand what this darkness is really like. And he comes to you, standing in your midst, and he lights a match. And he holds that light high up in the air and it sends the darkness away. That light chases the darkness back from which it came. That light he is holding high above his head is a message. A message that is meant for all people. A message that is meant for you and me. It's a message of restoration and hope. A message of renewal and life. It's a, it's a message that's given to us. So that even in our darkest days we can well, we can sing Sing with joy. So striking is this message of Jeremiah to Israel because it stands on the backdrop of 29 chapters of nothing but judgment and woe and condemnation for the way that they've acted. So stark is this message of of hope and restoration and renewal and life because it stands on the backdrop of the current exile and captivity that they were facing. But through the darkness of this cavern shines this light and God's declaration is clear. There is hope, and you can sing for joy. I mean, just listen to how Jeremiah forms this, forms this prophecy. There will come a day when I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. They will be my people. Israel, though you've abandoned me, I have not abandoned you because I remember the promises that I've made to your forefathers, to Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob. I remember the promise and the covenant I made through Moses that said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Though you have abandoned me, I've never left you. And though you are in exile, I promise you this. I promise you that those who survived the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance with the joyful. This is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Jacob. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them besides streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. I mean, this is God's promise of hope. This is God's promise of restoration and renewal, but it didn't match the current reality that they were going through, right? This unfavorable people living under the sword of a foreign king, slaves who got no physical rest, their holy city lying in ruins, even worse, their temple smoldering in ash, and yet, And yet God promises them favor, rest, rebuilding, renewal, joy. He promises that there will come a time when they will sing with joy. Now all of God's people, all of God's people have always stood at the intersection of our present reality and future glory. Right? Our present dark reality, when you're walking through it, it it can feel like, It can feel like you're standing at an intersection where you see a stoplight that just never turns green. It can feel like as you're standing at that intersection through this present, walking through this present dark reality that that you just feel stuck. You know what's on the other side. You know what your God promises you. You know what's waiting for you. But because the light never turns green, you stand there. And the longer you stand there, the easier easier it is for the darkness that exists in our world to chase out the promises from your heart that God has made you about restoration and renewal. This is how it's always been. But these promises that your God makes you, they are sure and they are certain. They always have been. And this promises that there will come a day, there will come a day when you will again sing for joy. But it's hard to wait, isn't it? It's hard to wade through the muck and mire of this broken world and, and we can become impatient, we can lose hope and, I mean, do you think that's how Israel felt when, when they were standing at that intersection of their present reality in captivity and hearing these promises of restoration? They felt just like you feel sometimes. Like it's never going to come. But this is where God asks of his Old Testament people and where he asks you and me to have one thing while we are standing there. Faith. He asks you while standing at the intersection of this present reality of darkness and the future restoration to come to have that same simple trust that Daniela displayed marching through that hallway. A simple trust that the God who made these promises will make good on these promises, a simple trust that says no matter what my present dark reality actually looks like, that none of that will actually affect the reality of God's future glory and restoration that he has promised me. A simple reality that trusts or a simple faith that trusts that everything that God promises you will come true because of what stands behind. Because of what stands behind those promises. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have continued my faithfulness to you. Long before Nebuchadnezzar ripped down Jerusalem's walls, long before Jeremiah was called to be the iron pillar of a prophet to God's people, long before Adam and Eve walked in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, there was this everlasting love of God. And this love was the impetus for God to make his promise of a Savior to the fallen creatures who rebelled against him. This love was the impetus for God to make that promise of restoration and renewal to his Old Testament people. This love is what caused God to remain and continue to be faithful to God's people even when they were faithless to him. And so God says, God says, this is what you put your trust in. Put your trust in me, in my unfailing, everlasting love and my continued faithfulness to- toward you. Because I promise you, there will come a day when you will sing for joy. And because there is a day that you will sing for joy in the future, you can, you can sing with joy now. And you know what? God's Old Testament people, Israel, they did put their faith in the one true God. Do you remember what happens? Everything that God promised them came true. Every single thing. God raised up another servant, Cyrus, the great king of Persia, to destroy Babylon. And it's through Cyrus that God allows his Old Testament people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We're told in Ezra, as this is all being recounted in Ezra chapter 6, do you know how the people did it? They did it with joy. Because they recognized the reality of what was happening in them. We're told that, that the people of Israel dedicated the house of God with joy. They celebrated with joy. The feast of unleavened bread, because the Lord had filled their heart with joy. See, Israel put their faith in this promise of of everlasting love and faithfulness, trusting that God would make good on these promises, and they sang for joy, with joy, even in the midst of their dark reality of captivity. Look, I know, I know how hard it is to live in the world that we do. I know the things that we experience in the world can be difficult and sometimes feel like they're chasing out God and chasing out the promises of God from his heart. I know how hard it is to live between the reality of the now and the not yet and just simply wait. But in the midst of everything that goes on, I ask you and Jeremiah asks you and God asks you. To hold on a little while longer. Keep holding on to God. Keep being faithful to God. Keep trusting that everything that your God has promised you is going to come true. Right? And here's why because God had a purpose for letting Israel return and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild her temple. That purpose was all of you, it was the future of all of God's people. Because 500 years after, after that temple was rebuilt, there outside of that city came the true temple of God hanging on a cross, Jesus Christ. Jesus hung on that cross and he drank from the wine cup of God's wrath and death so that you would never have to. Jesus hung on that cross in order to save you and to renew you and to redeem you, to restore you. Right? And because of that, Because of that, your God says, all of these promises that I made to Israel, all of these promises that I made to them about restoration and renewal in their darkest days, they are promises that are meant for you in your darkest days that I will give you favor. I will give you rest. I will rebuild you and you will be rebuilt, both body and soul. I will lead you beside streams of living water. I will cause you to come back. You will sing with joy. Do you know what this is the promise of? What your God is promising you right here? It's a return to normalcy. And isn't that exactly what the world has been clamoring for for the last 18 months, a a return to normal? But here, God is not talking about a return to pre-pandemic normal. He's not even talking about a return to the normal that existed maybe 50 years ago where people think that everyone was kinder and gentler and cared for each other just a little bit more. No, it's far deeper than that. The return to normalcy that your God is promising you here in Jeremiah 31 is taking you all the way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall into sin. To the normal that God intended everyone to experience. A normal where God and mankind commune together. Where God and mankind stand face to face and converse with one another. A time where everything was perfect. A time when everything, including your heart and your will and your mind and everything you are, was in perfect harmony with God's. This is the return to normal Jeremiah is talking about. Now in our present dark reality, this normalcy will not be realized. But in the future, in the future it will. And this is what your God is promising you. Put your faith in those promises. Because it's those promises of restoration and hope that stand as a beacon of light in the dark cavern of this world. It is these promises that keep you moving step after step after step through this dark world. Put your faith in these promises of hope and restoration because, because in the future, in the future you will sing for joy all of your days in the perfect presence of God forever. But until that time, until that time, these promises as the object of your faith, are what enable you to be like little two-year-old Daniela. They are what enable you to march through this broken and dark world, with your arms swinging and a smile on your face. Because when these are the object of your faith, it will cause you to sing with joy even in your darkest days. Amen.